journey through a, a bunch of these passages this morning. Let's open with a word of prayer. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And Father, we come to offer you our attention. We come to turn our hearts before you and to love you and to be loved by you. So come, Lord Holy Spirit, in this place and in this time. Lead us through your word. Pierce our hearts, Lord, lay us bare in your presence. And prepare us, Lord, for the mercy that we have need of. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the kingdom's full. Uh, again, it's one of these, uh, one of these uh, you know, the, I was given this, this storybook that you all have, this Bible book. And uh, <laughs> my goodness, there's a lot, of, a lot of territory to cover here today. So we're going to start with Manasseh. Uh, chapter 17, the kingdom's fall, and what, what my goal here is just, we're going to walk through all this stuff, and we're, we're just going to draw out some lessons. We're going to draw out lessons from Manasseh, we're going to draw out lessons from uh, Jeremiah, and from Ezekiel, and, uh, and so forth. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years, and his mother name, mother's name was Hebzabah. Say that with me, Hebzabah. Not bad. Okay. Uh, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out of Israel. This guy reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years, and at the end of the day, it says, he shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, Manasseh is one of these, again, one of these self-centered kings. And as I read through these passages, and we come to these places of these kings, I find one of the things uh, I'm reading over and over again is this. Uh, Manasseh finishes his reign, and we go to Ammon. And Ammon was the next king. And it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Over and over again, we see these kings that are doing evil in the eyes of the Lord as their fathers had done. And I think one of the things that sort of stands out for me as I've begun to uh, preach in this series is tracking my way through these kings. And it's made me think of my role as a father, as a dad. And uh, I think about David, you know, a man after God's own heart, and yet he really... Um, he really was a poor dad, really bad dad. Lots of kids, didn't care about any of the kids, didn't take care of any of the kids, didn't bond with any of the kids, didn't pour good stuff into their lives. And you end up with Absalom out trying to kill his own father because he doesn't love his father. And then you, you continue to track this. And every now and then you get, it's, you get a king that is like, you know what, I'm fed up with the, with the evil and I'm hungry for God. Um, reminds me of a friend of mine who grew up in a highly dysfunctional home. I grew up in a Christian home, uh, and uh, Dad, I remember every night we would sit around the, uh, the dinner table, and for about 20 minutes we would do family devotions and we would do prayers. And I had a friend um, who grew up in a very dysfunctional home, not really a Christian home, um, and he didn't have all the stuff that we had as a family, Dad was gone all the time. 
Uh, he was sort of on his own, but he would show up at our show up at our back door pretty regularly after supper, right around after supper. He knew when we had devotions, and he'd knock on the door. Oh, Boyd can't come out and play until devotions are over. Good, can I come in? <laughs> and and you know, as he and I grew up later on over the years, he said to me a number of times. He said, you know, how powerful that was in his life. And I think about myself. You know, and I had all this privilege and I had all these opportunities as a young boy, I could have cared less. I, I, don't get me wrong, I mean, what Dad poured into my life back then, I, I look back on it now and realize how much I learned. But back then, I didn't really care very much. And then I got my buddy next, uh, you know, uh, down, down the street uh, who, who didn't have all those benefits and yet he was hungry for the things of God. And, you know, I see this in a little bit of these kings. We have king after king after king who is selfish, but periodically you get one guy who was raised in the same way, uh, the same selfishness, neglected in the same manner, and yet they were hungry. You know, God seeks after those kinds of people. God seeks after that hunger. And, and yet even saying that, I'm struck too in Manasseh how God sought after him. Like when we read this passage and we think about what Manasseh did. It says he filled Jerusalem with blood end to end. He was selfish. He was a control freak. He was a power monger. He didn't care about butchering people. Um, one of the privileges I've had over the years is to travel to uh, some different places in the world. And one of the places that I traveled to um, is Rwanda. Back in 94, they say about in the span of 100 days in the Rwandan um, massacre, uh, genocide, 1.3 million people were killed in the streets of Rwanda, um, largely with machetes and other such things. Um, and and uh, I did a little bit of uh, research on that, and there are videos where you can actually see um, dead bodies laying in the streets. You can see the butchery that was happening. Like, we don't have that here. So it's really hard to read about Manasseh, and you hear about this guy who filled Jerusalem with blood end to end, and to realize the kind of things that went on. Now, I think about some of the old people that I've met who came out of the World War II era days. I met a, a gentleman from, uh, uh, he, was a, um, he came out of uh, Germany, and he was a U-boat crewman. And I remember one of the things that I got very interested in was his story. I said, do you tell your story to anyone? He says, uh, no, absolutely not. He says, people can't handle my story. And I said, well, I'd like to hear your story. And he shared with me, and he said it was brutal. Again, you know, we don't have so many of us here in this country. We don't have the framework to read about what Manasseh did. Manasseh was brutal. Uh, everyone lived in fear. Um, he liked to exercise his power, specifically the power to kill people, to demonstrate that he was in control. Everyone lived in fear. He was selfish. Everything was about his control. And, and yet, it says at the end of the day, a um, foreign army came against him and captured him, and we see that he repents. Manasseh had, had that hook put in his nose and he was led away. And then as he was taken into captivity, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. 
They paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put that hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. And in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God. And he humbled himself greatly before the Lord, the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea and brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And I think one of the things that stands out for me is that God still heard Manasseh's prayer after all the evil that he did. And you know, sometimes I think as I, as I read this stuff, I'm always looking for what the application is. And I, I can't really understand the degree of evil in this man. I can't really, uh, I, I think I would hate this man after being around him for very, very long. I think I would write this man off. And yet we have a God who, even though God is grieved by the 50-odd years of evil this, this man did, still God looks through what he did and sees the man. And there's this value assigned to the man. And God's compassion is for him. And when his heart is finally broken and he seeks God, God saves him. So, you know, I don't know, uh, I think, again, about application. And I think a lot of us, you know, we, uh, we oftentimes think that we've done too much or we failed too much or how could God love us? If God can love Manasseh, God can love anyone in this place. And, and so God reaches out to us. Well, um, Ammon was the next king, and again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I found myself under, underlining this, as his father Manasseh had done. And then after that, Jehoiakim is the next king, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. And then Jehoiakim is the next king, and he did evil in the Lord, just as his father had done. So parents... Beware. What are you pouring into your kids? That doesn't mean that you have to control your kids. But what are you pouring into your kids? And I think a lot of these young fellows, what was poured into their life came out later on. What are you pouring into your kids? What if you poured bad stuff into your kids and you grieve over that? Maybe you're one of those people who... God has touched you, but you feel like it's too late, and I spent all these years pouring bad stuff into my kid. What do I do with all that stuff? Well, the answer, or the, the call, I guess, is faith. What you poured into your kids, we get to give to God. God is the redeemer. God is the one that can reach in and take what we poured into our children's lives and do something powerful. So God can use... Um, even what we have done that is negative. Anyway, so I, I got that as well as I read through this. Um, <clears throat> what else? Ezekiel comes along. And so I found myself captured a little bit with Ezekiel's vision. In my 30th year, he says, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabara River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. And this is one of the things about how God uh, works among us. God comes and reveals himself to us. I think everyone who has been used by God or called by God in some way, shape, or form has had to have a revelation. Uh, you know, and I, again, I go back to thinking about, you know, being parents. I remember as a young parent, one of the things that we were concerned with that all of our kids would know Jesus. And I'd done enough youth work to know that you can't force Jesus down any kid's throat. 
So what do we do? What do we do? Well, John 6, says, No one comes to me except the Father draws him. Pray that prayer. So we begin to pray, Dear Lord Jesus, we pray that you would call and draw our kids. And we prayed that regularly. And over the, the next number of years, all of our kids gave their lives to Jesus. Now, who here has given your life to Jesus wandered, wandered away a little bit? And I call it the drift. We tend to drift away and take alternate paths. You know, I always say that the Holy Ghost has the best tow truck service in town. It's good for dragging you back onto the road when you wander, right? And, and we keep God fairly busy that way, as these kings did. We keep God fairly busy that way. But, but that revelation end of things, it is up to God to reveal to us when we wander. And so he does. We see him doing this with the Israelites. It is up to God to call us and draw us. I think about us as parents. We pray that God would call and draw and reveal. I've been praying lately that God would call and draw and reveal more to me, that I might walk more deeply with him. This is not something we can do on our own. We are dependent on this revelation. So Ezekiel, you know, here he is. He's in his 30th year. And God comes and gives him a vision, a revelation. And after he talks about the revelation, I'm not going to unpack this, this too much, but what I want to just say is the impact it had on him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. One of the things that happens oftentimes with the revelations that God gives us is that there's a humbling that happens. You know, and depending on your personality, or depending on where you're at, or depending on how, what God wants to do with you, um, that humbling can happen in different ways. Uh, with Ezekiel, this humbling happened. He fell on his face before the Lord. Um, I've seen guys fall on their backs before the Lord. I've seen guys fight on whether you should fall on your face or your back. I think that's up to God, you know what I mean? Um, I remember a friend, uh, I was in a ministry time where they were praying over a guy and, and he started, he didn't fall forward or backwards, he started wavering in a big long circle, boom, and landed on his side. Who cares? The thing that's important is that when God comes upon us, God reveals himself to us and, and God humbles us. And what humility really and truly means is God shows us that we do not have the strength to follow him on our own. He shows us that we can't do things our way. He brings us to the end of ourselves, and we experience this sense of helplessness in his presence. And it is into that helplessness, into that dependence, that he pours his spirit. And then he said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. Their ancestors have been in revolt to me to this day, and the people who I'm sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. So God really strongly emphasizes that this is going to be a difficult call. It's not one of those easy, easy things. Um, and I, I don't know if I would like a call like Ezekiel's, because basically God gave Ezekiel this call, and he said, this people you, are, you will go to are stiff-necked and stubborn, and they will not listen to you. But you have to go anyway. You know, I'm thinking about uh, uh, the next statement here, and it says, this, what, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And suddenly as I'm reading this, I, it struck me how Jesus followed his call. And one of the passages that's been coming back to me again off and on over the last uh, couple of years is John 5, 19 to 20. 
John 5, 19, 20, 19 to 20, Jesus says this, The Son does nothing of his own initiative. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And the Father loves the Son and shows him everything. In John 8 and John 12, we see Jesus saying the same thing over and over again. That, that he doesn't speak of his own initiative, that he speaks only what he has heard the Father saying. That is part of Ezekiel's call. God comes and speaks and he says, Say what I give you to say. You know, so here's us. I think about, well, what do I have to do, Lord? He says simply this, say what, say what I give you to say, and then sit down. You know, I had this uh, old guy in my first church, that, that was the best advice I ever got. Say what you get to say and sit down. Okay. It gave me a good freedom. Just say what God shows you. And you, son of man, don't be afraid of them or their words. Oftentimes when God calls us out, we can, we can be fearful. And actually, I, I've been struggling a little bit with this lately too. Uh, we, I showed uh, you guys uh, a little bit uh, of the trailer that we're doing for the Problem of Porn teaching series. And I've got to be honest, uh, as I go through that material, it's such good material and it scares the crap out of me. And it scares me a little bit because it's graphic it's blunt, and some part of me goes, how will people react? And God's been touching me a little bit that way and reminding me about the fear of man. You know, when we get called to serve God, when we got called to share the word of God or share with somebody what God has showed us, very oftentimes we experience that little bit of fear that goes with it. And sometimes it's not just a little bit of fear, it's a lot of fear. What will they think if I say this? What will they think if I look like this? What, will, what could they do with this? And God says, speak. I think about the Apostle Paul, and one of the things he said was, he said, if I still feared man, I would not be serving God. You understand that when you fear men, when you fear what people think, you're actually serving what you think they think. Your situation shifted from God to somebody else, and you're serving actually what they would think. Jesus never did that. Jesus spoke compassionately, but he spoke what he heard his father saying. Well, you know what? I want to jump forward here to the call of Jeremiah. Because we have two prophets in this passage, and, and I find myself drawn to this calling because part of me, my struggle, and I think per, for many of you, our struggle is how do we follow God, and we see a little bit of this in Jeremiah. Back on the home, uh, let's see here, things, he, uh, it says things were going from bad to worse in Jerusalem. And then we see Jeremiah come into the picture. And, and he opens with this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Again, there's that moment of revelation. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as prophet to the nations. There's a part of me that wants to cross-reference this over to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses, verse 10 and 11. And it talks about how each one of us, God has pre-planned good works for us to walk in. That means when God allowed us to be conceived, it means when God brought us to birth in our, you know, through our mothers, right? Uh, even before we understood what was going on or knew what God's plans for, were for us, God had a plan. That means I don't have to make up my plan. That means I don't have to figure out how to serve God. Really, at the end of the day, what it just comes down to is, Lord, show me, and I'll do what you show me. 
That's what happened with, uh, with Jeremiah. And uh, apparently uh, Jeremiah doubted himself a fair amount. That's probably one of the reasons why God said, I set you apart before you even knew what was going on. I appointed you. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak, for I am too young. Who here God has called you to something and you figure you couldn't do it? Very often that is one of the things that we, we, we look at ourselves. I remember listening to a preacher here a couple of weeks ago and he talked about the crick in the neck. Uh, he said oftentimes we get a crick in our neck and the crick sort of makes us like this. So we walk around like this, Right? always staring at ourselves, always focused on our weaknesses, always trying to compensate, God, how am I going to do this? And Jesus wants to heal the crick in our neck. Now, I've been working with somebody uh, struggling with depression lately. And one of the things, you know, I cross-referenced the crick in the neck to staying out of your head. Sometimes we spend too much time in our heads. When you spend too much time in your head, all you can do is see your inabilities. You don't see the God who is actually calling you. God's going, I didn't call you uh, out here to leave you to do it on your own. Stop looking at your weaknesses. Look at me. Remember that the secret to dealing with weaknesses is to look at God. Jeremiah's automatic response is to invalidate himself. Lord, I'm too young. I can't do it. And God says, do not say that, I am too, that you are too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, says the Lord. So those of us who are so worried about what other people think, those of us who are so worried about what might happen with other people, you know, I think about, again, I go back to my own walk right now. I've been doing all this teaching on porn, uh, pornography, and how to get free from pornography, and sexuality and broken sexuality. And I've got all this demand right now in my life for this kind of teaching. Well, uh, I didn't really know how to teach gently about it, so I, I, I went to this one Bible school that invited me out. And um, I'm going, how do you teach gently about this? Boom! Right between the eyes, right? So we're just going to say what God gives to, us to say. We're going to say it as short as we can, as bold as we can, as blunt as we can. Not going to try to shock people, but how do you say it? We're going to lay it out there. At the end of the week, I had one young fellow come to me. He says, this week was the atomic bomb that blew up everything I knew about sex. And that was a good thing, because everything I knew was wrong. And God began to set in place a new foundation for him. You know, don't be afraid of them. For I am with you. God doesn't leave us to go out and speak his word on our own. God doesn't leave us to go out and do his work on our own. Jesus said to his disciples, don't go anywhere. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. God doesn't allow us to go out to perform for him on our own. We have an incarnational God. You know, if I was to look around here and I was to describe each one of you, you'd be Jesus suits with a name, right? You have a zipper like this. And in the morning, you zip yourself down. Come on in, Jesus. Zip up. And he gets to live you out into the community. Now that image falls down in certain ways. But you get what I'm saying. God doesn't leave you. And, and on top of not leaving you alone. And this encouragement not to fear. Really it's an encouragement to keep your eyes on Jesus. What God does is this. Then he reached out his hand and he touched my mouth. And he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. 
There's an anointing that goes with the calling. When you share what God has shared with you, God loads into those words a power to touch other lives. And you might go like, these are just words, yeah, but you've got the Holy Spirit behind those words. And so as you step forward and you do what you've been given to do and you say what you've been given to say, God does a miracle through you and he touches a life. I want to encourage you, don't invalidate yourself. You might not be a prophet to the nations, but God wants to use you. Ephesians 2 says that he has pre-planned good works for you. He has a calling on each and every life. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about these guys who have every now and then God picks one for supernatural, superstar work. But we don't hear about all the everyday people that God also called and used. I think about the prophet Elijah. You remember how Elijah went up onto Mount Carmel and it says that he fought with the prophets of Baal and he called down fire from heaven and at the end of the day, he was sort of burnt out and he fled and he said, oh God, just kill me now. I'm all alone. And God said, don't say you're all alone. For I reserve for myself 7,000. Maybe I got that story a little out of sync, but anyway, you get what I'm saying. I have reserved for myself 7,000. That means there were at least 7,000 people in the kingdom of Israel, aside from Elijah, that were also out there following God's call on their lives and doing God's work. God anoints the people he calls. And then this is interesting too. The words that he gives uh, Jeremiah are these words. He says, the words you speak and, the, and what you will do will uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow. But they will also build and plant. And when we think about what the word of God does, the word of God lays us bare according to Hebrews 4. The Word of God uproots things in us. It overthrows old, unhealthy lifestyles. When I think about, you know, as a kid, um, we used to drive down. I, I just lived up here on 33rd Street, and we used to drive down here. And on the corner here, there's all this empty, empty land down on 22nd and Avenue H. Used to be a Pacific 66 station down there. Anyone remember Pacific 66? You know, um, old, antique-looking, cool gas station that's been torn down. The old fuel tanks have been dug out of the ground. They used the old leaky fuel tanks and they're gone. And now that land is ready to build and plant. There's an understanding that when God does a work in the lives of his people, he comes in and he uproots the old lies that we live by. He uproots the old, self, uh, the old, the old selfishness that we live by. He tears down old belief systems that we used to live by, things that held us back. And in their place, he puts something new. And so that becomes the promise to Jeremiah, that I will both destroy through you and I will plant through you. I will scrape away the old things and I will build the new things through you. And then he says this, Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Whole land against the kings of Judah and its officials and the priests of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you, and I will rescue you, declare the Lord. So, you know, again, the, the call of Jeremiah, he says, you may experience resistance, but I will fight for you, God says. You don't have to do this again on your own. So I, I found the call of Jeremiah 
uh, important. Now, the other thing, I guess, going on from there, knowing God was with him, it says, Jeremiah shed his fears. Do you know God is with you? My first church that I served was called Emmanuel Church. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. Do you know Emmanuel? Do you know that God is with you? Jeremiah shed his fears because God was with him. It's funny, actually, you know, because it makes me think of uh, 1 John uh, 4, 18. And it says, those who fear are not perfected in the love of God. Because fear involves punishment. Jeremiah understood the love of God. He shed his fears. Perfect love drives out all fear, the verse goes on to say. And so as we walk in God, we understand that God loves us and that he cares us. Uh, cares for us, and he protects us. Uh, known as the weeping prophet, it says, Jeremiah deeply felt the burden of the people's sin. One of the things that I want to say to you too, as God calls you, as he reveals himself to you, as he asks you not to fear, he, as he actually asks you not to turn to the people, and what he means by turning to the people uh, means that I'm not to turn to you for all my affirmation. I've been in hostile crowds before where nobody liked what I was saying. And God says, they're hostile for another reason. You're colliding with their selfishness. Don't turn to them for affirmation because if you do that, you will not be speaking my truth anymore. It's going to cause you to change your message. You must not turn to the people. He says, I will protect you. I will make you a fortified wall of bronze. And the image is that you're surrounded by a steel wall that nobody can get through. And you're safe as long as as you are doing what God has said, has given you to do. Trust God's love. Don't let fear of what others think rule you. And then along with that comes that burden. You know, sometimes I, I, I have people ask me, how do I know what God's asking me to do? I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing with, with Jeremiah. What's the burden on your heart? I've met people that have got burdens. They've got to go here and they've got to go there. I've met people that have burdens for children and they have a burden to go and talk about Jesus. So they're always injecting Jesus into every conversation. I have met people that have burdens for taking care of old people, you know, in old folks' homes. They're not happy unless they're there. What's the burden God has given you? And it might not, you know, might, it might be a little bit more than just that sort of happy feeling you get when you are there with them doing what you, what you want to do. There might be a painful element to the burden, too. One of the things with Isaiah was he found himself burdened because of the stubbornness of the people. Who here is a parent and you've had wandering children? Um, there's a burden that goes with that. And you know, the burden that goes with that is a powerful burden. Because what that burden does is it keeps you focused on the God who is your strength. I don't know, maybe I could say, how many of you kids here have wandering parents, right? There's a burden. There's a burden. And, and that burden can drive your prayers, and I encourage you to pray out of that burden. You know, it, it goes on and it says this, uh, as Jeremiah walked with a burden, he was obedient, he turned to God, he didn't turn to the people for his affirmation, and he spoke the word that God gave him to speak. And sometimes that caused him grief, and other times it caused him joy. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet for a reason. Because 
his, his job was hard. As I was reading further in the, the word that Jeremiah spoke to the people, I found myself drawn to a verse here. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have dug their own cisterns, and they have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And it's just a message that Jeremiah has given to the people that they can't depend on what they do to carry themselves through life. Um, they have to depend on God. Well, we go on here. Uh, let's see here. There are a couple other things that I wanted to share with you. It's the, the, the message of Jeremiah is a hard one. It's, it's a call to repent. And he goes on and unpacks it a little bit farther. And as he does that, let's see here. He says, furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. And so we, as we follow this, we, we see how God is showing the people their brokenness and their selfishness, and he's showing them his call and his desire for them, and he's giving them a choice. I am setting before you a way of life, and I'm setting before you a way of death. What will you choose? Do you choose the way of life, the way of faith, the way of trusting God, or will you choose the way of death like Manasseh did for most of his life, the way of selfishness, the way of self-dependence, the way of self-control in that sense? What will you choose? Oftentimes we have stuff that comes into our life that's hard, and it's in those times and places that we make choices. One of the things that I found in the choices that I've made in times and in difficult times is so often my driving uh, motive is to get myself out of the pain that I'm going through. And when you're in that place, you can make really selfish choices. So anyway, it's a hard message that Jeremiah has. He confronts a lot of sin, and yet at the end of the day, he says this, yet I call this to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. For the Lord is good to those who hope in Him and the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of our God. So as we follow this calling of God on our lives, and as we struggle with the hard things and the big things, and sometimes we find ourselves in over our head, there's this reminder that God is a God of hope and that God's desire is not to punish us but to save us, that God's desire is to rescue us and redeem what we have done. And so he says it's good to wait quietly before the Lord, to take that quiet moment and allow God to save you in whatever you need to be saved in. The book of Ezekiel goes on to promise restoration. And so I find myself coming down to the valley of the dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel said, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in a valley, and it was full of bones. 
And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? What do you think these bones represent? What do you think they represent today? A valley of dry bones. Has anyone ever seen dry bones here? You ever been out walking in the pasture and you see bones? Um, I, I was out um, doing a retreat here a little while ago, and I stuck myself in an old piece of pasture land um, for seven days. And while I was out walking this old piece of pasture land down south of here, I found a lot of dry bones. And some of them were quite fascinating. Um, so I picked them up and filled the back of my truck with them. Um, and I brought them home and I was going to make stuff out of them. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I was thinking. I found a pelvic bone from a cow and a tailbone. And if you put the pelvic bone just right and the tailbone just right, it actually looked like a rhinoceros. So I was all fascinated. I was going to put this thing together and put it out on the front lawn and see if I could uh, get some questions from some passers-by. But what is the thing with dry bones? Dry bones are not just dead bones. They're bones that are they're just, they're just the framework of what used to be. There's no life left. There hasn't been any life left for a long time. And this is the image we have of God's people, of, of Israel. Dry bones. And, and I, I find the question interesting. Son of man, can these bones live? And what would your response be? My response would be, I don't think so, Lord. They're done. What are you going to do with them? I like Ezekiel's response. He says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can they live? God will sometimes ask you the same kind of question. Boyd, can you do this? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You know, we had a little experience with our car um, heading to Edmonton a couple of weeks ago where um, the front transfer case started rattling and banging away. We were just outside of Vegarville uh, toward Edmonton. And I thought, I just blew my front transfer case. I knew it was weak. And immediately I'm like filled with dread. And immediately it's like, oh God, what are we going to do? And, I, and I'm reminded of that, of that with regard to this. You're in a place of helplessness. You're looking at something that's impossible. And God says, can these bones live? Can this thing happen? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Our prayer was sort of like, you know what, Lord? We're in your hands, and we're going to drive this thing until, until it finally craters on the side of the road. We prayed that prayer, started the car up again, stepped on the gas, and I've been drive, we've been driving it ever since. I don't know how that happened. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. What a great response. What a faith-filled response. Even when your eyes say, this is impossible, yes, but I know this God that can make this happen. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I want to challenge you over the next number of weeks as you walk through your life and weird stuff happens and stuff that's impossible happens. Remember this. Can I be glorified in this, says God. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. What are you doing when you make that kind of response? You're casting that situation back under the hands of God. And the only role that I have is to do what he shows me, say what he gives me to say. I don't have to fix anything. You don't have to fix anything. 
parent with the wandering child. Sorry, Travis, I don't mean to be looking at you. And <laughs> parent with the wandering child. It is not up to you to fix your child. They are on a journey, and, and the faithfulness of God is with them. What will happen with them, Lord? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Child with the wandering parent. I better be careful who I'm looking at, right? <laughs> Can you straighten up my dad? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. What a great response. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones, which means to speak the word of the Lord over them. You've got to understand something about prophecy. The prophet is here. The word of prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit through the prophet. The prophet doesn't generate the words. Jesus was so accurate when he said, I say what the Father sees, what, what the Father says, what I hear the Father saying. I don't speak of my own initiative. I don't speak with my own words. I've made deals with God like this. Lord, I'm not saying nothing unless you give me something to say. Then I get thinking about how will I know that there's something to say. So then I gave God a couple other things. I said, I'm fairly thick, Lord. What you have to do is you have to run it through my head over and over and over. Right? So we ended up, I ended up doing some prayer ministry with uh, a lady one time. And as I listened to her, there was this one word going through my head over and over again. And I thought, I'm just going to say it. Ma'am, when I listen to you, I hear this one word. She stands to her feet. No, not that, not here. And it opened her up, and she said, I'm ready to deal with this. And God moved in and touched her life. It was a word of prophecy. But it was not something I generated. So I said, Lord, run it through my head over and over again. More than that, Lord, I said, make my heart pound. Boom, boom. And I know when my heart starts pounding like that, God's got something for me to say. But I'm only saying what he gives me to say. Don't get me wrong, there's been lots of times I've reached out and said what he didn't give me to say, but I'm learning, you know what I mean. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to you. What does that word sovereign mean? Does anyone know what sovereign means? It means all powerful, with all authority. So hear what this all powerful God says to you. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you. I will cover you with skin, I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and you, know, you will know that I am the Lord. And so what did Ezekiel do? He said, I prophesied as I was commanded. What do you think about when you hear a guy prophesy? He should be screaming at the top of his lungs. We don't really hear this described. What about if he had laryngitis that day? He could just whisper it, right? We're not talking dramatics here. We're talking the obedient prophesying or declaration of what God gave him to declare. So when you think about dramatics, you know, um, I think about doing deliverance ministry. One of the mentors that I used to do deliverance ministry with, he would, he would be hollering at the top of his lungs, right? But he was Hispanic. And when he was doing deliverance with men, he, the, the macho, the machismo tended to come out, right? When he was doing it with women, he would be very gentle, not hollering at the top of his lungs. Then I got one of my associates, a very kind lady, and she's like, now evil spirit, in the name of Jesus, you go. And the stupid thing goes. <laughs> Me, I'm like, in the name of Jesus, right? Whatever. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with dramatics. 
One of the greatest revival preachers in history was a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And they say that he wrote his sermons out verbatim and read them off a page, monotone. And at the end of this one sermon, his most famous sermon, it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It says people were gnashing their teeth, weeping, wailing, crying out for mercy, and revival started. And then you get another guy like um, George Finney. Refused to write stuff out. He just walked in and winged it, so to speak. Studied his Bible and then went as the Spirit led him. But the anointing was on them both. It, had, it has nothing to do with dramatics. When you read this, don't stereotype yourself. It is not about, like, you, know, you don't have to wear camel's hair and have a grasshopper leg sticking out of your teeth to do this. <laughs> Be who you are. God has called you as you are. He knows your personality. Say yes to him, and God will use you. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I did what God told me to do. And this is one of the things that James uh, 1 talks, us, talks to us about. It says, those who hear what God tells them but, doesn't, that, but don't do it, they forget of what it's like to walk with God. They gradually drift back into their old self and they forget what it's like to know God. Those who do what God gives them to do, who do that word, they receive the blessing. That's what Ezekiel did here. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, uh, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise and a rattling sound, and the bows, bones came together. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then God said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. You know what I want to say? These bones are the North American church. And they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves, and I am going to bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up for them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your land, and you will know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken, and I have done, and I have done it. So, I don't really know how to end this. This is uh, a very scattered group of passages. And yet, the things that stand out for me, the redemption of Manasseh, how God can redeem years and years of evil and self-centeredness. Sometimes he takes us into the hard places where we finally come to the end of ourselves to do that. When are you at the end of yourself? Anyone know? You know what? You're at the end of yourself when you're at the end of yourself. That's it, Right? I remember pulling a friend of mine out of a bar in, in Calgary one time, uh, and he was just wrecking his life, and he was weeping in my car on the way home. And I said, when are you ready to say yes to Jesus? I'm not done having fun yet. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, well, he's not at the end of himself. When are you at the end of yourself? God will redeem that. I, I'm struck by the call of Jeremiah. Don't invalidate yourself. You may see yourself as a young person, 
but God may give you a word to speak to somebody or a touch for somebody's life. Just say it. Just do it. God, if he's called you, will anoint you and touch that life. Uh, I think about the word of hope. God can redeem all things. Even when God is doing corrective work, he's driven by his compassion and his hope. I think about Ezekiel. God can bring to life that which is dead. And sometimes that's where we have to get to be used by God. Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to bring it back to life ourselves. I think that's one of the reasons why it was a valley of dry bones. Because when, when uh, Ezekiel looked at it, he's going, you alone know, Lord, you alone know. And then God told him to speak, and the miracle was all God. What do we have to give to God? We have so much. Because we are the people God has chosen to live through into this land, and he wants to live through you. And he has that plan and that purpose. And I just want to give him that now. Maybe you're one of those people full of dry bones. Can my faith come back to life? I don't know. I've been trying, and I ain't making it happen. It's not happening. And maybe all you get to offer him is the dry bones of an old faith. But he will do it. The main call of Jesus is turn back. The main call of all the prophets is turn back. Turn back from what? Turn back from self to dependence on God. It's called repentance. I want to ask you to pray with me. God Almighty, we come before you as we are. We come to repent. You have a call upon each of our lives. But we can't make it happen. So we come before you as Ezekiel came. Helpless. And yet willing to obey. We come before you as Jeremiah came. Sometimes feeling unqualified. But we're ready to obey. Father, we thank you. That you call us that you anoint us. Show us what you want us to do. Let us hear what we must say. That we can simply obey you. We give you what we have. And we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord God, I thank you for this time that we have, for your word. I thank you for these men of God that as we read your word, we, we can learn from. Father, let there be redemption and let there be your mercy and let there be your conviction. God, lead us from this place, from this time, into what you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thanks so much, Boyd. Uh, it's what we needed to hear. Let God be God and let us be who we are, humbling ourselves, hearing his word, being obedient. Um, as a small groups guy, I'm encouraged as I look through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that there's life groups for every day of the week.
So we actually have no excuse to not be in one. So I'm encouraging us uh, this evening to be in prayer for the young ladies who are an emotionally healthy spirituality. And uh, that's being led by Marie, uh, Sean. And then ladies on Monday night, you can see Allison about uh, where they're meeting this week. We have a Tuesday group. We have a Wednesday. Thursday, we have uh, a group that meets uh, throughout the building. And they do all kinds of exciting stuff. We know that as Bibleville. We have shift on, on Friday, and we also have an addictions recovery that we're just starting on Friday at 7.30. So be in prayer about that as well. We need that in a really special way. And uh, Saturday, our, our evening service is almost like a small group. Uh, and it can be a big group anytime as well. It's open, so it's elastic. And then Sunday, we, we can be in small groups as well. And uh, so encouraged by that. Um, so if you have any questions about life groups, I can uh, encourage you. We, can, we, we always have room for more of them. Thanks so much for just uh, your conversational style and breaking out into a few sermons as well as, as we went through. And uh, that was awesome. I appreciate that so much. So I encourage each one of us that the God of green hope will give you comfort wherever you are uh, throughout this coming week. And just encourage one another daily with the things that you're learning from these chapters. And we're looking at chapter 18 on the life of Daniel this coming week. And it's so, so rich. There's so much there. And uh, when I listened to YouTube this week, I didn't fall asleep to Daniel. That was awesome. You are dismissed. <laughs>